Water's Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray-Darling Basin and Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Coming up. We hear from the former Auditor-General of Victoria and Western Australia, Des Pearson, about his review into compliance and enforcement measures by government agencies in Basin States. Three of the jurisdictions right at the start were able to tell me how they were performing. You know, the 99% compliance in volume terms and 97% compliance in uh, licence number. Why Des Pearson's review was critical. People have marked their own homework for a long time and we now offer a new independent way to you know, call that out if that's right or wrong and celebrate it if it's right and, and there's good results but also hold people to account and, and say when it isn't right. And how states can work together to come up with better water management practices. Collaboration and collegiality. Our, the industry through their groups will be comparing notes. We as the regulators need to be comparing our notes <laughs> and uh, working out what is the the right and just way ahead. I'm your host, Annabelle Hudson. This is Water's Edge, and welcome to The Conversation. Welcome to today's episode of Water's Edge. I'm joined again by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Troy Grant, and with us via teams all the way from Singapore is Des Pearson, who has recently undergone a review for the Inspector General about um, some of the states and their uh, water methods and compliance, but I guess we're going to go into a little bit more detail about what the review is about. But firstly, I'll just get um, Des to do a little bit of an introduction. Des, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Annabelle. Yes, uh, look, I'm a uh, semi-retired career public servant that uh, spent probably half my career on program delivery and regulatory uh, roles and uh, the last 20 odd years as a state order general in Western Australia and Victoria. So uh, I've seen a fair bit of public administration and across about five, five or six jurisdictions. So you're very experienced in this kind of thing. Um, all right, well, Troy, to get us underway, can you tell us what is the Des Pearson Review? Yeah, thanks, Annabelle, and really appreciate Des um, joining us today to help explain uh, what has been a substantive and critical part of work that we've done in our first 12 months of existence. Uh, what generated this work as Interim Inspector General, I spent a lot of time in the Basin communities talking to stakeholders and communities about the critical issues that were most important to them to get answers to because they expressed to me there was a lack of clarity, a lack of transparency and a lot of confusion which really impacted the trust and confidence they had in the plan and, and how states did their jobs in regard to water management and how that collectively uh, was good or bad for the basin plan ultimately. So uh, as a result of that, we commissioned three bodies of work and that was really about river operations by the MDBA, uh, how the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder uh, was doing their, their jobs and those reports are out shortly. But underpinning that, uh, was the work that we commissioned Des to do for us, uh, an eminent former inspector, uh, Auditor General, uh, to help the Inspector General's office understand where the states were at 
uh, individually and collectively in doing their job about the water management systems that they had in place, the regulatory practices, the way they interface with water users, the relationship they had with licence holders and how they were accounting for and holding people uh, to account uh, for water extraction. A major concern across the basin was that there's not a level playing field and that we look at it through a lens of what's best for the basin, but not everyone does. They look at it through their own lenses of what's best for their state or what pressures works, uh, what systems work for them under the pressures they're under uh, to deliver either politically or administratively or, or what's happening in their, in their part of the basin. So uh, it was really a, an opportunity exercise as well. It wasn't designed to go out and, and use our big stick to whack the states for not being up to speed or not doing things in the most cohesive way possible. It was more about looking for opportunities to do things better on a holistic basis. And I think Des's uh, report has certainly painted a clear pathway for us and we've already enacted on, and started on some of those recommendations which have been really helpful. But now we have a wonderful baseline to work forward from and that's why the work's been so critical. And we'll look at some of those recommendations a little bit later. But Des, can you tell us, just as a bit of an overview, what did your review find? Look, the re review understandably found things were very variable, and as Troy has already intimated, uh, states have approached the task differently, and there's a long history. But I approached it from a point of view that fundamentally they're all doing the same thing. They're allocating a limited resource of water, and they have an obligation to uh, provide assurance that that water is being equitably accessed. Fun I came back that fundamentally they're all doing the same task of uh, you know, rationing that limited resource on an equitable basis. Uh, and the differences sort of came in uh, reflecting their context. In uh, the southern uh, basin, the jurisdictions had mature and embedded uh, compliance systems in place and they were managing on a zero tolerance basis of regulated water. Whereas in the northern basin, there was a lot less uh, uh, regulated water or a higher proportion of unregulated or unsupplemented water, which brings with it different challenges. Uh, and it wasn't as evident how they were managing that and reporting to the community. So that brought, you know, and so at the end of the day, my exercise was very much a comparative analysis across the respective states of how they did it. My recommendations were around establishing a core set of metrics so that there was a common basis for comparison and reference so that uh, by um, reporting by nature of take, you know, from regulated take, uh, unregulated take, uh, overland flow and floodplain harvesting, those sort of things. So we're comparing like with like, and there's a basis to provide meaningful reporting on performance to the community. Des, you've worked a lot across a lot of different sectors. Have you seen anything like this before in other other areas or is this very specific to water in terms of the, you know, the different terminologies and things like that? Yeah, look, it is uh, more certainly more pronounced in water. I've, I've walked in a, worked in a range of uh, policy areas and uh, this has got to be at, at one extreme. But I th I'm hopeful people see the benefit of collaboration. I, I was a bit put back by the number of times privacy, confidentiality <laughs> were called and their 
they're holding to their particular terminology. And I, I think that's that's a bit of a socialising challenge we've got that, uh, as Troy said in the Inspector General in the, in the Leaders Forum, we're beginning to uh, address that. And I think uh, if we get a few wins where they benefit from the experience of others and see that uh, that's, that's a smarter way ahead is to learn from the experience of others and to work cooperatively with others, um, I think that that's a, a good outcome. And part of that, um, review of yours, Des, is that um, there's been some positives that were found in it. For example, in Victoria, they appear to have a compliant framework where unauthorised take is extremely low. So is this compliance framework something that you could see adopted across the basin states? There's a need for it, and we're working towards that already. So um, the, the states essentially, to explain that they each have their state legislation which they have to comply with and and that's designed in water sharing plans or water management plans they all have a different name for them obviously um, <laughs> and then they all have water resource plans which are tied to the commonwealth water legislation as well as the basin plan and they have obligations there and part of those obligations is contained in a thing called the compliance compact now that's how currently they measure if they're meeting what they should be doing across a whole lot of metrics which is including probably the most known thing is metering, for example. But it's what they're reporting on isn't really telling us anything. It's not um, an outcome-focused reporting. It's just a saying, yes, we're doing something about that without saying whether it's good, bad or indifferent or if it's working or not working. So part of um, the real positive outcome from Des's work, as I'm talking about, after just three meetings, um, we're about to release on an annual basis a metering scorecard so everyone can actually see coverage, how many metres are out there in the basin, state by state and holistically. They're also going to be able to see on a consistent basin, a consistent basis, sorry, um, the telemetry. So that's the important component of the, the measurement at the metre level to make sure that there's accuracy in, in the water take. And then the, the final thing is the timeliness, and that's about the reading of and reporting into the regulators the, the take. So there's timeliness. So they're the three things that we've focused on and that metering scorecard is hopefully going to replace some of the elements of the compact that provide no benefit as well as other consistent reporting frameworks and compliance frameworks that Des has alluded to in the report. Yeah, and what we're really trying to do is get the right information up so they know how well they're doing because they are all conscientious and working hard but it's got to be frustrating if you work hard and you're not progressing so often you need to take a half a step back and work out what's working and what's your higher priority and focus on that and, and i think that's important the, the work that you did des really showed that there's so much work to be done and i, and I think and it's a matter for the government ultimately uh, as to whose responsibilities falls with i suspect it will fall largely with us is uh, the communication component. It's not, it's everybody's responsibility, but it's not actually being done that well because there's a lot of good work and good news out there that isn't being articulated or understood or delivered. Um, people are often looking at just the bad news stories, looking for um, what I referred to in, the, in Des's work as there was no smoking gun that the, the Matthews Review and the pump program showed that there wasn't a catastrophic smoking gun problem out there. There was issues and lots of things to do, 
but there's lots of things to be celebrated and, and acknowledged as well. And I think that that's important because even across all the jurisdictions in the regulated supplemented area, three of the jurisdictions right at the start were able to tell me how they were performing. You know, the 99% compliance in volume terms and 97% compliance in uh, license number terms. And a couple of other jurisdictions didn't have that information. But in the course of my review, they were able to provide me and give me reasonable assurance that they're at least 95% compliant in volume terms. Now, that's quite good. Now, clearly, we'd like it to be 100, but the world's not perfect. So the more they're on the front foot and reporting how well um, it is regulated, um, the less people will beat up the odd exception and, and make an issue out of it, which distracts them from the main task. You make a, a brilliant point there, Des, because um, what has historically happened and which has not helped trust and confidence, which is the, the pillar of what we're about and why we're established, is that people have marked their own homework for a long time. And we now offer a new independent way to you know, call that out if that's right or wrong and celebrate it if it's right and, and there's good results, but also hold people to account and, and say when it isn't right. And we did that with the WRPs in New South Wales at the River Reflection um, speech was to tell the truth that we can't actually tell you if New South Wales is compliant or not because there's nothing lawful for us to mark them, mark their homework with. And they were saying, oh, we're compliant. But in the Bow and Darling, we saw there, I think it was 39% over cumulatively. So, you know, that, I think that's going to hopefully in time build that trust and confidence to know that there's an in, independent inspector general who can utilise the expert skills of people like Des Pearson to help dive in deep into those issues and, and get to the truth. You mentioned the term, there's no smoking gun, essentially, that's been found with this report. And some community members may think that this review is a bit pointless and if, if you haven't found anything. So why why should the community feel assured that this is going to do something? Well, I see this as a, as a positive to help build their trust up because they've got a perception at the moment that the whole thing's broken and that there's people out there doing the wrong thing off the back of the previously mentioned um, you know, really dark period in water management in New South Wales's history. And New South Wales has come leaps and bounds um, from that period of time to where they are now, as Des witnessed through what NRA is doing and then now how NRA are uh, utilising water New South Wales' um, systems as well to continually improve that. Now, NRA is only a young organisation and they're going to continually improve and mature, etc. But they're operating at a pretty high level out of the gate and it's far in exceedance of where they were back in the dark days. So that's got to be a positive. So uh, people that you know draw the conclusion that, oh, this is pointless to tell us good news, it's like the media don't print a lot of good news stories because it doesn't generate that excitement. But the evidence is there. It's got to be told. You've got to tell the good with the bad. And that's a responsibility of ours. And we're not saying it's perfect. We're not saying it's even great. But there is no smoking gun where there's you know potential corruption, there's favouritism, that there's maladministration that's out there. Um, there are certainly some areas of concern that we are, have uh, discovered through other bodies of work we're doing that we will be pursuing. And if there's badness out there, we will call it out. But you know, we're, we're not there for the sole purpose of doing that. We're there to get the truth and get it... Get all the information. All the evidence out there and put it out there so people can have a... not a perceived or a perception of 
what their level of trust and confidence should be, but they have an evidence base on which to make a proper a proper decision about or get a proper understanding of before they form their view. And I think the more the Inspector General puts the true story out there and and presents it for what it is, and you know, the story from my observation is it's it's probably it's up ninety five to ninety nine percent by volume is compliant and you know, around 97% by licence numbers are compliant, the more that's out there and reinforced, when you get the odd exception occur, it will be seen for being an exception, not not interpreted as being the norm. And, and the Minister has used this terminology um, in, my, um, in my company and I, I back her when she says this, that the Inspector General's role is to do what we've just articulated there, you know, find the truth and use evidence to call out the status, what's actually happening across the basin. But we also have some big sticks and we're not afraid to use them when needed. We, we don't want to use them if we can get people to comply and, and, and be operating under our oversight capacity in the right spirit and the right purpose and meeting the objectives of the plan and, and the acts that they work under. That, that's good. That's what we should be doing. But if they're not, well, we'll bring out the big stick and we'll, we'll whack them and hold them to account. That's also our job and where, without fear or favour we will do that. So part of your review was fairly critical of New South Wales and its ability to effectively monitor licence holders take against their allocation. Um, and your observation is that it's driven by the separation of the customer facing agency, which is Water New South Wales, and the enforcement agency, which is NRA. How can New South Wales overcome that challenge? Can they have a model similar to Queensland where it's all just in one agency? Well, they could, but they are working on it. And I, I think it's probably uh, indirectly, if not directly related to the review I did, is in the course of the review, they started monitoring take on a real-time basis in the regulated area. Because when I looked at uh, water compliance, there's probably two elements. What I call the primary or direct is monitoring take against entitlement or allocation. And that, that's a given. It's like running a debtor's ledger or the banker running their, their bank ledger. People have got a, an allowable balance and they've got to stay within it. And if you watch that, what New South Wales and NRA have developed is a real-time database that interrogates the water New South Wales uh, you know, register and alerts them to excess take. Now, that, they're doing it that way, whereas South Australia and uh, Victoria are doing the same thing differently but we're getting the same result. And I think that's the the real end game here. We, we don't want to be in the game of telling them how they do it because that's their right as to how they set up their administrative arrangements within their jurisdiction. But if we give them the uh, you know, the criteria or the, the information needs that they should be fulfilling, um, we're just interested in what the result is. And I think there's another great example, and Des um, correctly points out that uh, as his review was underway that uh, the jurisdictions could see the writing on the wall for what of a better term. It's probably a better analogy than that, but they could see uh, where things were heading or where they were needed to head. So they automatically or um, organically started to work within to improve things. And that then happened uh, across the border. So New South Wales and Queensland are now joined up working on remote sensing, uh, which is a, a really exciting new piece of compliance satellite um, type of technology that can come into measure in addition to or, or help metering until it's matured up enough to, 
to be relied upon. So there's some better cooperation just by generating this body of work. There's already some improvements happening. So once all the recommendations from DESA's reports are implemented and we keep on a journey, this won't be just a something that sits on the shelf and you know sits as this will be a document and a piece of work that will need to be reviewed in time to update it and look for more opportunities. So it's a living document, a living piece of work and the regulatory leaders forum that's been established is now the, the place where that will all happen. I mean, you talk about this review being revisited, but you know, in the past there's been a number of reviews since 2012 that when the basin plan was implemented, you've, you've had the Ken Matthews report on New South Wales water management and compliance, the independent audit of Queensland's non-urban water measurement and compliance in 2018 and the Murray-Darling Basin water compliance review in seven, 2017. So how is this going to be any different? Um, simply, it's now independently assessed uh, where there's no agendas or there's greater opportunity to for transparency in what we're finding and what we're saying. I think that's the most significant part of it, that we're not under anyone's agenda driven, we can't be influenced, we are an evidence-based organisation, we find the evidence, we call it out, good or bad, and then we help coordinate the opportunity, the betterment, uh, whatever the situation is, and, and get those outcomes. That's where the power of our office really sits, is that those, all those other previous reports may well have found things or recommended things, but uh, they weren't done in a completely independent way. Ultimately, there's always a, a way to question whether there was a marking of their own homework I've referred to before, or did they really look where they needed to look? I, I think I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about this comment, Des, but uh, you know, we're saying as an Inspector General that we want things to look good. You know, we want systems to work well what does good look like? What, what does that mean? What does well look like? What's best practice? What does that mean? How does that get measured? And, and that's really where you've steered us. Well, and I think that's where we're going because you know, the more universal metering you've got, the better coverage you've got, and you're never going to be 100%, but if we can get it up to you know, 80 90%, that, that's good. Then um, the timeliness of the reading of the metres, and that is my observation with compliance, is, and that's why I've pushed a lot of the states on their frequency of reads is you know yourself if if you you don't pay a bill and nobody follows you up you don't worry about it whereas if the day your bill was due and you don't pay you get a message from the the, the person you owe the money to you you come on board so and to me that was a an attribute of the uh, tighter systems in the southern basin uh, they were very active and often some jurisdictions are even warning users that they're approaching their limit before they get to the limit. And that keeps everyone honest. And um, and there's other differences that have to be you know, made more consistent across the jurisdiction. Uh, in the past, when there were annual and quarterly reads, as long as they, as I read it, they used to say, as long as the account was in uh, in surplus at balance day, it was all right. Whereas jurisdictions are saying now, no, you don't go into overdraft, you, you trade before you use. And that, you know, is providing more equitable access to water overall. And it's a big cultural change because uh, habits, people have been doing it their way for a long, long period of time. With any change, with any change management comes difficulty because people don't like change by nature. It's, it's a tough one to do, but change is necessary to get that level playing field. You can't be treated differently from one part of the basin to another 
on, on the same thing, which is water taken and the accounting for it. The public sector, we're managing scarce resources on behalf of the community and we've got an obligation not only to do the right thing, but to be seen to be doing the right thing. And I think that's where regular reporting, meaningful reporting is critically important. And equally, being open with the community about our challenges because people will accept that the world's not perfect. So if we tell them what a particular challenge is and how we're addressing it, they'll either endorse what we're doing or, or give us some <laughs> advice on how better to do it. And I think that's a, a constructive engagement with our stakeholders. And that's, again, it's something I've found in my public sector career. We start off being a bit insular and we, we don't want to share those challenges. But I've found over time, you're better off sharing your challenges with your stakeholders and then they're in it with you because, and they'll, they'll contribute and keep you honest. But if you try and hide it from them, they'll, they'll be very skeptical and then you, you drop the ball and uh, you know, they'll really blame you for it. So I'm, I'm all in for working with your stakeholders and leveraging them. And again, that's with the risk of harping on this collaboration and collegiality. Our, the industry through their groups will be comparing notes we as the regulators need to be comparing our notes and uh, working out what is the, the right and just way ahead. Troy, we've done the review, or Des has done the review, you've done a report which is available on the IGWC's website. Where to now? What's the next step? Uh, is to implement each of the recommendations from the report. So I've done uh, an overview report of what Des has uh, found in his work, but also the reason I have released it in that fashion was because there was a lot of information before Des came into the place as to why to articulate how it fit within the broader work of what we're trying to do, how it fit within the work plan priorities from last year. But Des's full report will be a part of our annual report that will come out in uh, October, November. So that'll be fully available for those that love the detail, love the technical side of it, but mine's more of an overview indicator of the findings, the key recommendations, but more importantly, what we're doing about it. Because uh, I know I share the frustration of many, there's been a million reports done out there over time, and particularly in water, that many reviews. But then you look at it, well, what actually came out of it? Whereas our focus is acting on the recommendations, and we've already put a number of those in place. As I said, the Reg Leaders Forum is established and starting to yield results. The metering scorecard is very well advanced. The compliance... Uh, framework is already in work and trained with each of the jurisdictions. So we haven't sat around waiting. We got, as soon as it was identified, we started to put those into place because they made sense immediately. So from now, it's just uh, working hard to, to get these things done, which aren't all easy. There, there's a lot of give and take and a lot of working with others to get that collegiality and a lot of convincing and coercing and, and all that sort of stuff. But that's the job. And uh, we're saddled up, ready to do it and get stuck in. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Troy and Des, for your time. Des, we'll let you get back to your holiday and we will be jumping in in a few weeks' time to look at some more reports and reviews that are being released with the Inspector General. But for now, thank you very much, Des and Troy. Thanks for your time, Annabelle, and thanks, Des, for all the work. It's much appreciated and it's, it'll leave a, a lasting legacy. Really appreciate it. Uh my pleasure, Troy, and thanks, Annabelle. 
Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.